What's up, everyone? I'm Lexi. And I'm Sarah. Welcome to Kills, Thrills, and Chills. Buckle up for this week's case. So, breaking true crime news. The body of the 17-year-old girl from New York who disappeared while visiting South Carolina's Myrtle Beach on spring break 13 years ago has been found. And her sex offender and murder has been charged with the kidnapping and rape. Brittany Drexel went missing in April 2009 when she was walking in between hotels in Myrtle Beach. Her boyfriend was the one who was concerned when she stopped answering texts. So that night, she was kidnapped by Raymond Moody, who raped her and killed her, and then buried her body in the woods in Georgetown. So this, today, we're recording on Monday, by the way. So today, they found her body about 35 miles down the coast from where she originally disappeared. A bunch of tips from the investigation came in, and then he was arrested on May 4th on an obstruction of justice. There was a break in the case today, and he was charged with the rape and murder of Brittany. And Sheriff Weaver said that Moody has an extensive sex offender history, but didn't provide any details. He's been on the South Carolina Sex Offender Registry for 1983 convictions in California for sodomy by force of someone under 14 and kidnapping, according to different records. So finally, this family has closure after 13 years of wild rumors, including anybody who's followed this case knows that there was like insane rumors about there was like a crack house and there was mm. sex- sexual abuse victims and that she could have been sex trafficked. Um Some people said her body could have been fed to alligators. There was just crazy rumors surrounding alligators. Yeah, they said so. Essentially, like when you listen to this case, originally they said that she was like brought to a sex trafficking house with other people, and then because there was so much media and news around the case, that the people who they were looking into decided to, like, rape her, kill her, and then feed her to alligators in the swamp. So that was the rumor. And there was never any body found or anything like that. So they finally found her body 35 miles away from where she was found. 13 Um, years ago. From where she went originally missing. I don't want to say I'm happy for her family, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I'm happy that they have the closure after not being able to, like, you know, put their daughter to rest and know what actually happened to her. So... That's huge because 13 years of not knowing what happened to someone. I can't believe after 13 years. I did look up an article after you told me. I just don't know why I don't remember. I think that's a crazy case, though. I mean, I you probably sent it to me on multiple podcasts, but I don't remember. 13 years, that astounds me for the fact that she went missing after vacation. That's been a big thing, too, about just vacation. It was like weird, too, because there was like other kids who had gone missing around her age. There was really no evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of like any, yeah. I mean, look, it took them 13 years to figure it out. Yeah. So good for, I'm happy though. I'm happy for our family. Like you said, not happy, but it's been 13 yeah. years. They haven't answered. They have closure. But, right yeah. Lexi will be covering this case so we can give uh, Brittany justice now that we know what happened. So today I have a pretty gruesome case for you guys. I uh, just wanted to give that to you so there is a trigger warning right away. 
Isaiah Sagawa. <laughs> I will be uh, referencing him as Sagawa this whole time because it's a lot easier than his first name. So Sagawa is a notorious cannibal in Japan. He grew up in a wealthy family, but always had the urge for human flesh. He may have only committed one murder, but the story as a whole is just chilling and you'll see why. So for this, buckle up for this ride because you're going all over the place here. So first we're going to start with his background. So Sagawa was born on April 16th, 1949 in Kobe, Japan. Sagawa's father, Akira, was a businessman and president of Kurito Water Industries. And apparently that is a big industry in Japan, especially back in like 1940s up until I think 1990s before they got replaced. So if you could just imagine back then, they they were a very popular and well-off family. And Sagawa was a very premature baby when he was born. He could fit in the palm of his father's hand. And due to being a preemie, Sagawa developed enteritis. Never heard of this before, but (laughs) it is a disease that affects the small intestines where all minerals and nutrients of food are absorbed. This disease could be an endangerment to the newborn and their future. Doctors clearly did not think that he would live long at all, but... Fortunately, Sagawa survived and had a great childhood with his parents. He grew up as an introvert due to his very shy personality, but his parents were very loving and surrounded him with love and nurture. As soon as the first grade, Sagawa was obsessed with sex and sexual nature, which was actually taboo at the time. He never even heard his parents mention a word about sex. Sagawa was fascinated in the first grade by a handsome boy's thigh. I know this is a weird comment. First grade? (laughs) Yeah, first grade. (laughs) First grade. This is where it all starts. But so handsome boys. Yeah, handsome boys thigh. I know it's a weird comment. Like you don't think about that. But just keep that in mind because thighs are very pertinent to the story. All right. So hang tight. (laughs) Uh, Due to his parents not being communicative about sex, this led him to be panicked when he got his first erection. He described it as feeling sick as if it was some sort of disease. Sagawa mentioned in an interview with Vice Videos that he did strange things with his erection. Prepare, okay? He detailed that he made his dog lick it off. Uh, <laughs> I know we're dog no, lugger lovers. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm looking at my dog right now, and it's, that's it's disgusting, uncomfortable. Even she, she's even panting. Look at she's her. Uncomfortable with that. Mocha doesn't like this. And I don't blame her. (laughs) All right. So next we got Sagawa always felt like he was different. He kept to himself mostly his whole childhood and young adult life. In the interview with Vice Videos, he detailed, sorry, I can't talk today. He detailed that he feels he is out of this world. Like he accidentally fell on this earth like a meteorite and that he is from another planet or even another dimension. He truly believes he was disguised as a crying baby on the street. When his mother saw him and she took pity on him. Sagawa believes he's from a planet of cannibals and he's the only one of his kind to exist on this earth. (laughs) I I laughed during it. Oh my God. I literally don't even have words, but (laughs) keep going. I love it. All right. Yeah. So that was a big part. Like that was about like almost 10 minutes of that documentary alone. Just him talking about how, he did not believe he was from this planet and that his parents weren't his actual parents. Sagawa grew up very insecure. He was always very short. He's fully grown, 4'9", very weak. He was always drawn to Western women who were so tall and beautiful in his own words. 
he had a strong yearning for them. So whatever you want to put that in. But while when he was living in Tokyo, he came across a beautiful foreign blonde lady. And she walked by him. And he was so fascinated with her white thighs. This escalated very quickly because he was beyond convinced that this lady lived in the same apartment complex as his grandma. Therefore, one day he snuck into her apartment, which was on the ground floor, which was very convenient for Sagawa. When he entered her apartment, he found out that she was asleep. She was asleep naked, in fact. Sagawa actually planned to hit her in the head with an umbrella and knock her out. So her being asleep was so beneficial for him. And of course, her being naked was just good for him because he is a creep. What a weird choice of her... weapon. Sorry, right? like if I'm gonna an umbrella <laughs> unconscious, I'm not thinking like umbrella. No, I mean I don't know though. Hammer, but like, but if you think about it, this I think. All right, let me look. This was actually in like late sixties, early seventies. Okay, so like what? Were umbrellas like back then? You don't know. Maybe they had like a yeah, crazy. No it could have been a crazy like handle, but still, that's crazy. not my first choice of a weapon. Yeah, <laughs> no. and it, it, it like bothers me too that it was so easy for him that she lived on the ground floor. So easy. He walked in. She was sleeping naked. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, it was just like the perfect like, scenario. Oh for my him. god! But I don't mean that. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. <laughs> but I know what you mean. All right, so after that, she was already asleep. He didn't have to come over her or anything like that. So from then on, he went to get a knife from the kitchen to, quote-unquote, this is not me, cut into her ass and eat it. And, yeah, that's exactly what he said. He said it on the documentary. I understand the reference (laughs) of, you know, calling ass cake, but that's taken to fucking extreme. Disgusting. Like... The fact that you could say that with, like, no regard is gross. But, okay, so fortunately, when he was creeping up next to her on the bed, his knees brushed her stomach. This actually prompted her to wake up and scream, which allowed him to get caught and arrested. With attempted rape, when Sago was questioned, he did not mention any cannibalistic desires he wanted to pursue, which made his case better on his behalf. Also, another thing that put the cherry on top was that his rich father settled the whole matter by paying the woman a large amount of cash. So that was his first instance. It wasn't his first murder, but that's the so first he didn't thing. didn't actually rape her. That was attempted, no. right? Yep. Yep. She woke up just in time. Good. I'm so glad. Him not knocking her out, not I guess, was. <laughs> yeah. And it, so this was, I think, late 1960s. They didn't give us like a timeline for this, but for the rest of the story, I do have a timeline. In 1977, Sagawa left Tokyo on his 28th birthday to travel to Paris to study comparative literature at Sorbonne University. By the time Sagawa left for Paris in 1977, he was obsessed with cannibalism. He always wanted to go to Greece after he finished his graduate, pro- graduate program, which is high school for us. So... After he finished high school, he wanted to go to Greece, which he did. He took a luxurious boat. He had a grand old time, went around, celebrated his success, and he met a butcher who he described as a fat and jolly man and his wife. At the table where they were chatting, the butcher described how to butcher meat, and this helped him in the future. (laughs) So you can only imagine what's going to happen. So in 1981, now we're going to start getting into the kind of gross stuff. In 1981, Sagawa met 
Renee Hartvelt in his German poetry class. Sagua found her so beautiful and had never seen a woman like her before. He used to sketch her in class without her noticing. Sagawa lied to Renee one day and said that his professor wanted some German poetry recorded. And this was his plan to get Renee back to his apartment to kill her. In the Vice video interview, he stated that Renee did not suspect a thing when he invited her over. So when she got to his apartment, Sagawa gave her the poem to read, to read beforehand. Renee sat down at the table and started reading the poem. While Renee was preoccupied reading the poem, Sagawa took out the gun out of the cupboard behind her. He then pulled the trigger and shot her dead in the back of the head. He then explained further in the interview with Vice that she collapsed on the desk and then proceeded to fall to the floor with the chair. He then laid a towel over her head and undressed her. Sagawa indicated that he planned everything out beforehand, from which part he would start feasting on and such, starting with her, in quotes, with her ass, because he thought it looked the most delicious. He started with the right cheek, not the left, since the left cheek was closer to the heart and he's scared of blood. And I have a note here and it said I had no idea. What? I I no idea that this was true until I looked it up. But also he's a cannibal and terrified of blood. Like, how does that make sense? Yeah, that doesn't make any (laughs) sense. And also he's taking eating ass to a whole new level. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I had to say it. That's a good one. (laughs) So let's do more. (laughs) I can't. Sagwa then bites into the flesh of Renee's butt, but he says it was too hard to bite and it hurt his jaw. He tried to cut off the flesh with the kitchen knife, but that didn't work either. The next logical step in Sagwa's mind was to go to a market and get a meat knife and a circular saw, which I also want to pause right here because why do all my cases involve circular saws? I don't know, and all mine involve kitchen knives. Like, what? <laughs> I, I saw this, and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Garika Gordon had a circular soul. I know. Oh, it just gets worse for you. No. And, of course, getting the meat knife and circular saw works well for him. He ended up cutting up Renee's body in his bathroom, which is a one-bedroom apartment. Very tiny. I mean, if you think, like, Paris, like all their places are tiny, because you're not yeah. spending time at home, and it's But then he proceeded to eat her flesh for three days before moving her. Ew. (sighs) I don't understand (laughs) that you can do that if you're also scared of blood. That's what I mean. How does that make sense? That doesn't... He does. I have, like, one comment here that he said, like, when he actually was, like, cutting the flesh, he saw, like, it looked like yellow peppercorn, which then he found out was fat later. So he had to even go, like, deeper into cutting it to get to, like, action. Like, how gross is that? <laughs> like, I was going to keep that out, but, like, just to show how, like, deranged and disgusting he is, I think that's, like, a really good thing to put in here. God. Yeah, I, I had trouble researching this case, even though I went through, like, a, a one in a black hole, but it's really disgusting. Yeah, no, I have chills. This is disturbing. Sago was afraid that the corpse would rot in the hot June weather in Paris, so he had to cut up the corpse in his apartment, in the bathroom. In the Vice interview, Sagawa stated cutting up a body is not easy. The torso is extremely heavy. And it's nothing like a horror movie. <laughs> Just so you know. Just wanted to give you some tips. How deranged he is. Like, yeah. oh, I thought it was going to be as easy as it is in the horror movies. He did. 
I think he got very upset when he couldn't just cut into her, like bite into her first and then cut into her with a kitchen knife. And then he had to actually go and get these tools, which he learned from the butcher that he met on his grease trip. Oh, this is foul. Disgusting. So after that, he cut up the corpse in his bathroom and now he needed to dispose of Renee's body. He put her body into another similarity to Garika, two suitcases, and traveled to Bois de Boulogne Lake. I hope I'm saying that right. If you're from France or Paris, I'm very sorry. <laughs> the cab driver picked him up with two suitcases. The driver even made a joke saying, the suitcases are heavy. Do you have a dead body in them? The driver then laughed it off and put them in the trunk. Oh my God. I wonder if the driver ever found out like there was actually bodies in there. He had to. And how crazy is that? Like your instinct was right. <laughs> Yo, I make that joke all the time. Same. Like, I'll be like, haha, my suitcase is so big, I can fit a person in here. So that's or the like, thing. He was so probably... I'm hiding yeah. a body. But he I, probably I, just thought it was a joke. And like, oh no. my god. There was. <laughs> Little did you know. After that, the driver brought him to the lake. When he got to the park, he didn't realize it would still be daylight out at 8 p.m. I also don't know, like, Paris's time and all that. Especially summer. I know they have daylight savings and stuff like that. Yeah. Because I guess summer here, like... Yeah, until until like nine. Like nine, I think, right? Yeah. So, but... So he didn't know it was going to be daylight at eight, and the park was still very crowded. So to waste time, he went to the edge of the lake and was admiring the beauty. He was very into art. He said in his uh, Vice documentary that he was just looking at, like, the skyline and the water for, like, something he could, like, paint later on. And he was so mesmerized that he did not notice when a guy approached him asking if the suitcases were his. He said no, and the guy opened the suitcases. Once he saw what was inside, he screamed, murderer. All the women in the park were screaming. He proceeded to walk away before he was apprehended. But before you comment, before you comment, I want to say the one thing he said in the interview was, I wonder if it would have just said, yes, those are my suitcases. Would he have proceeded to open them? I was like, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? You were sketchy. That's how he got caught. Podcast, but I wish y'all could see my face right now. Mm-hmm. I'm like utter shock. This you just opened the suitcase and saw. Like that poor man. Like wasn't expecting that. He was just thinking like someone left it there and he was opening well, it. Let me open this to figure out whose suitcase this is because it's not yours. Yeah. That's why, like, he says many times. Yep. He goes, I said no because I thought, like, he wouldn't open it. But if I said yes, I kind of think he wouldn't have opened it. That was his exact quote. Oh, my God. (laughs) He was then interrogated by the police. And then after that, he was interrogated by three psychologists in Paris. They all conducted that he was legally insane and unfit to stand trial. Sagawa was then sent to a criminal psych ward. And the French public, actually how I know Americans sometimes are the same way. The French public group said that Sagawa was being kept at their expense, so he was extradited back to Japan. After arriving in Japan, they decided that he wasn't mentally ill, but evil, and had a personality disorder. Without undergoing any treatments, he was forced to leave the hospital after this diagnosis on August 12, 1986. He was locked up for almost nine years. They then let him free when he went back to Japan, and he's been a free man ever since 1986. Has he committed any further crimes or... No. Well, I have, like, a good uh, 
a good portion of like what he's doing like after because in the documentary it's after he's free so and he's already talking to us so it's crazy i also i will put this in the show notes that you have to watch it i think there's only one way you're ever going to watch a cannibal speak to you on a documentary and this is the one this is the one and it's deeply disturbing oh i know well i was texting lexi this whole week saying like this is a crazy case. It's not that long. It's very short. Only one murder. But I think our conversation will be so good about this. <laughs> oh, just, yeah. Just, I have a lot of questions, but... Yeah. You're going to have more. <laughs> okay. All right. So he's been free ever since 1986. One day, they didn't. he didn't say when in the documentary, got a call from the media in Japan. And they wanted to interview him and have him write an article about himself. They offered him $20,000. He wrote the article. It was published. Ever since that article, he has been writing books, 20 books to be exact, painting portraits of women and selling them internationally. And the last thing Sagawa actually really did with any like art, which I wouldn't really call this art, he wrote a pornographic film. It was made with him and a random woman. The porn was basically that they will have sex and then he will show her his crime scene and cannibal photos, which he keeps in his house. The director they said, that? Oh, yeah. The director said that they had to have sex three times before he could show her all these, like, stuff. He then discussed him being a cannibal with this porn star. He said to her, I have an urge to drink your urine and swallow your saliva. Porn star, of course, said he lacked something in his mental state and she was uncomfortable. But... After, she became a very good friend to him. And he quotes in this, Thanks to her, his urges towards women have slowly but surely changed. Wild and disgusting. Um, but just save it, give- just save it. Just save it, I'm telling you. Okay, We're okay. going to go into all of it. We're, we'll do the discussion. Oh, I only have like three more paragraphs left. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> so Sagawa stated in his interview with Vice Videos that he hadn't paid rent for five months at the time of this recording. And he stated if he was to get kicked out, he would kill himself. The philosophy that is, well, he is alive. He wants to keep the apartment as well as he shouldn't waste his energy on stupid things. Since he's still alive to this day, it seems fitting to say he's still in this apartment. He lives in complete solitude and does not have much communication communication with the world. The one notable thing in the interview was when Sagawa said his parents died and he was so heartbroken. He couldn't see them. They wanted nothing to do with him. He does not understand why he can feel this for his parents, such grief, but felt no remorse and still feels no remorse for what he has done to Renee. When he feels an urge to partake in cannibalism, he states that he suppresses it by masturbating. If he can't cease his sexual urges, then his appetite grows. And this is a direct quote from him. I fear cannibalism might emerge again. And he says repeatedly that he wishes they gave him the death sentence. Recently, he has the urge to be killed. He wants to die suffering. And that's how it ends. Um, please adhere to his wishes and kill this stuff. Agree. Okay. Because just from what you said, my brain is like he's going to recommit the second he mm-hmm. can't control his urge. Well, how old is he right now? I'm going to do the math real quick. Because I know you're going to age out of crime, but I don't think someone like no, this is going to Not that. Out. No, no, no. I I come one hundred. He's seventy three, but I completely agree with you for this fact. I think when this um came out, he was still he was like fifty something, so he was still yeah. pretty old. And he's saying this that it might emerge again if it doesn't work. So I just 
I, I want to hear your comments. He's saying that he's not committed or being monitored in any way, shape, or form is deeply disturbing. So I told you thighs were going to be important. I want to actually, so we're actually using this like virtual um, recording app. And I have, I read a book about this whole thing and there's crime scene photos. Are you willing to look at them? I mean, I, I guess. I, I need your full input. So I think that's why. Yeah, I think I have to, but I don't want to, but I feel like I need to. Yeah. This is just his apartment. Very gross. Ew. And this is just pictures of him, if you haven't seen him yet. He is one scary looking dude. This is the place he used. That's all Renee's meat, by the way. Ew. <gasps> oh my god, I regret See? saying yes to the bottom. I know. The bottom picture, like, that's just the torso. And that's when he said, oh, it's so heavy. And then this one is, it's hard to see, but that's her, like, laying on the morgue table. Oh, I can't <laughs> I can't yeah, that's a, But this is a suitcase. That's what I want to show you. So that's <gasps> one of the suitcases they found. And you can clearly see, like. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm hanging up on you on here. But yeah. So how crazy. How disgusting. My eyes can never unsee what I just looked mm-hmm. at. I'll link the book. I'm not going to link the pictures because they were, as you could tell, very disturbing. Yeah, no, don't. But I will link the book. It's only like it's a book on a bunch of it's called The Celebrity Cannibal, Isaiah Sagawa, the man that ate his classmate and walked freely. It's crime scene photos. That's what it's called. <laughs> I'll just put it in the show notes. But yeah, after I seeing that, just look at that. It makes it more real than like a story. Aww. Like you see everything. And she was so pretty, too. And it's like, oh, my God. Makes me, but. After that, all right, tell me your thoughts. I want to know what's going through your head. First of all, I feel like I'm going to throw up by yeah. looking at those photos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I want to take a second to laugh at the fact that I thought I wanted to be in forensics. Yeah, no. Oh, also, the photos clearly that Lexi saw, you saw her whole, you saw Renee's dead body, how the police found it. So Ooh. half of her skin and flesh wasn't there, clearly. So this is why she's getting this. I have chills too, but this is why she has this reaction. She is very yeah. No, justified. Everyone could see my face right now because I am just mortified. Yeah, that is sick. That is absolutely disgusting. I have a lot of comments here. My first comment is why did they let him out? I think it was 1978. He was finally like they apprehended him right away there was no question about how he did it yeah like (laughs) but once he was interrogated like he never even went to trial because he was deemed mentally insane like legally insane which also if you think about it back then it's not the same standard as now like now it's almost impossible to be legally insane let's just take for a point the fact that he says he has no remorse and he knows what he did was wrong, that means you're not insane. You know the consequences of your actions. You know what's right and wrong. Yeah. That would not get away this, like, now. No. So, but I know a lot of people, too, like, when Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer, everyone in America wanted them out of our country. And since uh, Sagawa wasn't from our country, they could extradite him back and have them deal with him. But as soon as you extradite them back, what they do 
is all up to them. That's their country. I don't know Japan's laws, but they said he wasn't insane. He was evil and had a personality disorder and wouldn't pay Which for I his. Agree with. Yeah. But they wouldn't pay for the mental hospital, like the mental hospital, anything, the criminal hospital. So he just got to leave. That's it. To me, I just can't wrap my head around the fact that they're like, he's not mentally insane. He's mm-hmm. mentally ill with a personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And he's evil. But and they didn't even... Yeah. I think there's also, like, I'm not justifying his means at any... I just don't want anyone to mix my words up. I just think it speaks for the time. Because especially Japan, I know for a fact, like, I've done a lot of mental health research. They have... They were very behind even the United States in, like, mental health. Yeah. So if they said that he was mentally insane, he served, what, almost 10 years in uh, France in the mental institution. They're like, yeah, we don't want to pay for this. We don't want our country to pay for you to do this. But then, like, why wouldn't you put him in prison? So this shows me more about, like, the psychologist and the judicial system. Because he should have been set on another trial. The system did not get it right on this one at all. Agreed. I 100% agree with that. I don't think. And the fact that he's still alive, I, it, I get the chills with that. That's so scary out. to think about. Says, I'm afraid I'm going to do it again. Like, yep. outright saying it. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't get it. It kind of gives me, like, not hope because obviously it's sad. But the fact that, like, at the end, how he said, like, he wants to die suffering. I want you to die suffering too, man. You yes. literally cut up a young woman who's helping you with school and then ate her and then put her in suitcases and brought her to a fucking park where children were and they saw that body. Oh my. I'm disgusted. If you couldn't tell. <laughs> Yet yeah, the brutality alone. So he was, oh, I, mean, I forgot to tell you guys this. He was, so at this, he was about to turn 29. Renee was only 25 when she died. Oh my God, so much life to live. My heart goes out to her family. What Was there anything that you found on her family? Hers? No. So they actually didn't even, like, comment on anything. I think, okay. like, at first, when he, like, went away to the mental institution, they were furious because he didn't. He couldn't stand trial. They got no justice. He went to men- mental institution. After yeah. that, when he was free, they did not say anything. I did get one comment from the family, but they omitted everyone's name and they just said that the Heartfelt family is disgusted for the fact that Vice Videos put that interview out. And I agree. Which, you know, I mean, I, I agree because they didn't get justice. Her killer just walks free. <laughs> and he's still alive in his and own he's apartment. Still alive. <laughs> I think the one thing that gave me the most chills was when he said that his parents died. Okay, yes, heartbreak. He couldn't go see them. They want nothing to do with him, which good for them. Rightfully so. But he doesn't understand why he can feel such heartbreak for his parents. But he's 50-something at this point, feels no remorse for what he did. He was 29 to Renee. You know what you did was wrong. You should be in jail. (laughs) Yeah, you should be in prison for life without the possibility of parole. Because you have no... I know. He should have got the death penalty. You literally said it in the interview. Might emerge again. And no one finds that deeply concerning? I mean, he even finds it concerning. He said, I wish they gave me the death sentence. I wish you guys could see my face because I'm at this point just speechless. I think after this, 
now that we know how to do this virtual thing, I think we need to go live one day so they can see our reactions Please. because they're very fun. Oh, next but- week's case that I have for Ooh. us, maybe we'll go live on that one because that would be nice. I read just a little blurb about it and I was oh I would love it I love it the soap maker I love it as you all know me and Lexi don't know anything about each other's cases coming in and if we do we will let you know we'll do it together we'll tag team it but I think we like our reactions this way because you guys get to hear Lexi's reactions and my reactions and I think it's hilarious fun. so I think if we went live for you that would be hilarious for everyone I just my heart breaks for her and her poor family, because mm-hmm. neither of them got the justice they mm-hmm. deserve. I agree. Oh. I mean, I, I, I wish I had like in the palm of my hands the the psychologist report in Paris, like when they did that. I want yeah, to read that so that. bad because yeah, that makes no sense. You are not legally <laughs> insane, and I think the only reason they this is just all speculation, my opinion. I think the only reason they said he was legally insane in the interview, I think he just full pedal about him not being from this world. Like, you know what I mean? About him. Yeah. So he was like, I don't belong here. I don't even, these aren't even my parents, but then you do address him as your parents. So, so he's just all over the place. My only thing that is, I wonder is if he's Mm -hmm. actually insane or not, because to me, I'm leaning more towards not. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole thing about him being like, I'm from another world and I have cannibalistic tendencies. Like, I think that's probably bullshit. And he was leaning on that to get an insanity plea because yeah. he outright said he has no remorse. He knows exactly. right from wrong. He identifies his urges and knows they're wrong. So to me, someone who's insane can't identify those things. So I actually have, for all of you out there that don't know, I was a law and justice major. In one of my, like, criminal forensic classes, and I think this is, like, a perfect thing for, like, us to do. So to teach us criminally criminally and legal, like, legally insane, my professor always told us this one case about this kid who, I don't remember what year, I had to look it up. This kid who did a school shooting and as soon he brought like uh, hostages in the library and then he locked the door with like chains so like no one could come in. And then when he went to trial later, the defense is like, oh, he's criminally insane because he had a lot of mental issues, everything like that. would like to cover this case, by the way. But um, they actually, the judge and prosecution proved that he's not mentally insane because as soon as he put the chains on the door, showed he knew what he was doing is wrong and he wanted no one to come in to stop him. Oh. Right? So imagine him. He knew what he was doing. He premeditated he knew- this whole thing. He confessed to that. <laughs> yeah, he knew it was wrong. So that's why I don't think that Paris, France, whatever, they shouldn't have given him that he was legally insane and unfit to stand trial. I think he should have still went to trial. I mean, too. Don't, don't get me wrong. He's a weird individual watch the vice videos interview you can tell he's very strange but i'm gonna watch those you have to it's only it's only a half hour okay it's not it's not long i'll put it i'll send it to you directly but i'll put it in the show notes for everyone he's just like when you watch it it's just like a creepy guy he's like i got from it that he was a kind kind of proud of what he did and that disgusted me more that's also like a sign that 
he's not insane. Exactly. So that's what I mean. And I'm glad you agree. Like he definitely did not. He did not get what he deserved. The system he deserved the he deserved the death penalty. And I know we can't speak too much to it because it's not the United States. It's not, we don't know all of their laws, but still, I mean, back then I can only just assume and speculate that their uh, legally insane defense was very low and did not have a lot of prongs to it. So yeah, don't go to Japan because Sagawa's still there. Still walks this earth. He's still here. And he will probably eat you, so please don't go. Okay, Mm -hmm. just don't go to Kobe, Japan. Noted. And I hope he doesn't, is never in Tokyo, because my boyfriend Travis wants to honeymoon in Tokyo, so I don't know if I'm doing Mm -hmm. that anymore. (laughs) Well, he dies. Okay. I guess we gotta wait and see what he dies. (laughs) (laughs) And also, too, I just want a disclosure. When I make jokes, no disrespect to the victim. Oh, no. no Disrespect to the family. We try and make this a little lighthearted because yeah. it is for some topics. So again, just wanted to reiterate, I'm not making fun of the victim by yeah. any means. 100%. We make jokes so it's easier for you guys to listen to. And you're not yeah, sitting here sense. and you're like, oh my God, which we've been in cases and we've been very fucked up on cases that we have heard. And I wish that we have heard like more jokes coming out. And I think that's why we're so obsessed with Morbid is because they kind of try and do the same thing. So it's not too heavy hearted. We're not excusing any of this behavior. We think he should have got the death penalty or never seen the light of day. I wonder if there's something we could start or I'll I'll do a deep dive in the internet to see if there's like some kind of petition or Mm -hmm. something to get justice Mm -hmm. for this family. I agree. There has to be something. There has to be something. That's my thoughts. That was disgusting. I said I was going to cook dinner after this. Same. Not well. (laughs) I'm physically ill, and I wish I could unsee those pictures. But thank you. Sorry. No, it's okay. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that case. But like, also, fuck you. Uh, (laughs) I am not okay okay right now. I oh, like, I love it. I know. Like just crawling. Just, just, I know, mine too. And I researched this case for a while. I told you like a week now. And just still like, yeah. oh my God, I got the chills. And yeah. it's fine. Okay. It's fine. Well, just try and forget it when you yeah. get off. I need but to perfect. watch some comedy or something. But Yeah. It's a really gruesome case. Line. I hope, I don't even know what I hope you guys got from it. There's really nothing, but it's really gross. And maybe we'll be live next week. So watch our Instagram. Find anything or Mm -hmm. know any more about this where we can help the, you know, family get the justice they deserve. uh, Reach out to us because I think that's what they need. And this guy should not be free walking the planet. 100%. Um, I agree. But thank you for your support. We always always appreciate our listeners. And always feedback is welcome. So always. Thank you you for all of you that have reached out and have given us support. We really do appreciate it. Um, We do have an Instagram if you want us. It's at Kills, Thrills, and Chills podcast. Feel free to message us. We will cover whatever you want to cover. If you just want to talk, we would love to talk to you. Yeah. And if you want to share a case, you have any (laughs) case recommendations, any missing people you want us to go over. Mm-hmm. Any stories you want to share, 
whatever you want to get out to the world, we'll put it out. So you can send us an email at killsthrillsandchills at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Send me your paranormal stories. Okay, thanks. Bye. (laughs) Bye.